Welcome back. You're listening to the 24 Faithful Podcast. I'm your host, Bradley Adams, and joining me once again, Joel Woods. Joel, how are we doing this week? Doing great, Bradley. Wonderful day for a podcast. <laughs> Isn't it just a Friday as ever in the evening for me and in the afternoon for you? This week, we're continuing with Season 7. We're on Episodes 7 through 12, which is 2 p.m. through to 8 p.m., and we left off last week with uh, Jack, Tony, Bill, Chloe, and Renee uh, teaming up to try and stop Dubaku and recover the COP device. And <clears throat> over in the White House, um, Henry Taylor and his uh, conspiracy theories turned actual reality perception um, got him in a bit of trouble. So we'll come on to that in a little bit. But first of all, to the COP device. And we pick up here where our motley crew are able to find the office, the the, the building that uh, Dubaku is using to launch the CIP attacks. And they go and basically <clears throat> launch an assault on the building and recover the CIP device and stop Dubaku from enacting a chemical spill at Boyd Chemical and killing lots of people. And it's all a success, I would say. They rescued the Matobos as well, the, the um, Sangalan ex-prime minister, it's quite good, and uh, the the actual sequence of the assault is is excellent. Yeah, I I enjoyed it, and uh, we also unfortunately we 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 lost uh, we lost Latham in the uh, <laughs> firefight. Uh, poor poor Latham, poor John Billingsley, who just he just wanted to drive his daughter to school. <clears throat> I think I think that's where they were going. Yep, all he wanted all he wanted her to do was just to stay off the cell phone. That's all he wanted. Yeah. I, we didn't mention this last week, but I was particularly amused by the idea because, you know, this is 2009 and shot in 2007. And I was particularly amused by the idea of, I think it was like, I got you that cell phone for emergency calls only. And it's just like, eh, okay, <laughs> this has not aged well. It doesn't. It's, uh, it's weird to look at in 20, uh, 2021. Um, but, and I thought it was kind of, I guess funny in a way that Latham comes face to face with Tony again, who, you know, just a few hours ago was, was trying to, you know, kill millions of people. And now he's like playing a good guy. So Latham's just standing there like, okay. Um, Unintentionally potentially about to kill Tony with the bomb that Dubaku straps to his chest. Yeah. So it's a Latham and Tony have a very love hate relationship here. No, I think, um, it's, I think it's all hate. I think it's just Latham hates Tony. Well, to be fair, uh, he wouldn't be staying there with a bomb strapped to his chest if it wasn't for Tony. So uh, I kind of give him a pass on that. Um, but I thought the the assault was good. Um, I thought that the the firefight and Jack and and again, this is this is peak twenty four for me. Not not because you know it's the best sequence in twenty four or anything like that, but this is how I want my 24. Jack, Bill, uh, Tony in the field, taking care of business, not stuck up in a in a CTU substation, you know, trying to run tactical. You know, this is the kind of 24 that I like. <clears throat> and having Renee there, um, I thought added to it because she's she's helping them, but at the same time, she's not fully on board with what's going on she's just she's kind of letting it play out 
to see what happens before she makes a move. So she's helping them, but at the same time, she's not, you know, all in like the other four are. Um, she's on she's on the side of kind of doing the right thing as opposed to being like um devoted to their mission i guess is the way of putting it that kind of makes it sound like a little bit of a um an antagonist ter- terrorist type point of view but that's the kind of they they are here to unravel the conspiracy and renee is here to stop the terrorist threat and if both things happen at once then she's kind of happy with that at this at this point in the story she is not willing to go as far as the other three are to uncover this conspiracy um she's just helping them but trying to help them within the confines of you know what's right and what's what's legal and what's lawful um at this point she has not gotten to the point where she's willing to go as far as they are no and we will get to that very shortly i think your point about the the satisfaction of seeing the crew and and it, and it being kind of you saying it peak 24 i think that's actually quite true i think i mentioned last week that it felt a little bit like, oh, let's get the band back together when they first get to the loft. And it's lovely, and it cut, but it also kind of feels a little bit cliched. And here, it's just an extension of that, except there's just an immense satisfaction about it. We said before that Jack and Tony didn't really work together in the field much. Bill had never been out in the field other than the helicopter out to the oil platform at the end of season six. And seeing it here, suddenly there's a, oh, this is this is nice. This is... You know, these are these are most of the characters we would associate when we think of Twenty Four, and we're seeing them out in this mission. It's kind of like a well-oiled machine. You know, the assault doesn't go perfectly because they don't capture Dubaku, and Latham gets killed. But it kind of the whole build-up to it feels so smooth. It does. It's we've we've seen so many assaults. You look at say the Chinese consulate <clears throat> assault that are just a calamity because everything goes wrong. Whereas this kind of felt like it, it almost felt like one of those end of season type assaults, just in the way that it was it from start to finish, it goes as planned, pretty much. They get their objectives done. There's a there's a method methodological approach to it. It's very tactical, it's very incisive. And it's just a lot of fun, actually. And and you know, there's a similar thing actually in terms of the familiarity and the almost fan service i guess actually of when uh after henry taylor gets shot that it's that bill says oh I'll, I'll call someone and get olivia taylor picked up and the person he called is aaron and it's it it doesn't make a whole lot of sense until it's kind of explained and then even then you're a little bit like well okay sort of go along with it but it's aaron <clears throat> and we love aaron and so you just go yeah that's fine it's there's there's a little bit of Mm, maybe a little bit of a cliche, maybe a little bit of a stretch of the imagination, but actually, you know what? It's making me smile. It's so much fun to enjoy and watch. Why not? Let's just go with it. And that's that's how I feel about this assault, that, like you say, there are so many... Well, I say so, there are so many. There, there, This is quite good from a sort of technical um, shooting, like, like, for want of a better word, point of view, but there are better ones. But it's just... it. It's joy, this one. Well, this is uh, <clears throat> this is the end of what would be typically in in twenty four universe called the end of Act One, um, <laughs> because twenty four, or at least the 
seasons one through eight, the 24 episode versions of 24, are usually bro broken down into about three or four acts. And this is the end of act one um, because the, the CIP device is destroyed. Um, Debaku escapes, but pretty much everybody else is killed. Um, <clears throat> Matobo is rescued. It feel it has sort of a finality to it. Um, like you said, like if this was the end of the season, it would be a good ending to the season, with the exception of Dubaku escaping. Um, but you <clears throat> you noticed that, and and I, I I was looking back at previous seasons, with the exception of Jack, you noticed the the changes in characters and appearances of the other three of Chloe, Tony and and uh Bill. I mean in previous seasons, you know, Bill's got his hair slicked back and you know he's clean shaven and you know he has this very GQ esque look to him. Um and then you have this season and he's you know he's got the full the full white hair and the gray the gray scruffy beard and um it shows and then you got Tony, who normally has the, you know, the curly hair and um, kind of clean shaven, except for that one little crappy thing he has on his chin. Um, but here he's, you know, he's got a little crew cut, a little military style crew cut. He's got his, uh, <clears throat> got his little beard going. Even, even Chloe, you know, she's got her hair a different way she's a she's a brunette instead of blonde um it kind of represents the changes in not just the characters and appearances but the changes from the the old the old guard of ctu to the mission that they're currently on um and i thought that that was a nice kind of a nice touch because i think it would been a little bit of a disconnect to me if i would have seen Bill for the first time and he, you know, he still had his hair slicked and, you know, clean shaven and, you know, things like that. So that was, that was one thing that I, that I noticed that I particularly liked. Um, I don't think they, they mentioned, I can't remember if they did, but did they mention in season seven, uh, whatever happened between him and Karen? No, there's just, I, 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 I don't think they mentioned it at all. I don't think they even make reference to it. Um, but I think the the thing behind it is that they were divorced. Um, I feel like I read that. But uh, you are right about the the looks, and there's almost a feeling of this is 24 with most of, a lot of the same people, you know. But it's not quite the way you know it, I guess. And I mean, it works. It it, it does work. Um, so kudos. Yeah, I, I like the I like the inter, the reintroduction of Aaron because you know Aaron up to this point is other than Jack the only person that's appeared in all seven seasons, uh, to my knowledge. So it was nice from a nostalgia standpoint, and when you think about it, it kind of makes sense because up to that point they know that the government's been compromised. They know they're not sure who they can trust. So if they need a somebody with Secret Service experience to go pick up Olivia, why not go to the one person outside of the government with Secret Service experience that they can trust, which is where Aaron comes in. So I thought that from that aspect, it kind of made sense. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I th- I thought that Aaron kind of Aaron's Aaron's another one that when he gets into the field, you kind of feel like everything is right. Um, so I you know other than other than Jack and and Tony and Chloe, Aaron is probably my fourth favorite character. Um, just because he's he's quiet, he doesn't say much. But what he does say in the tone of his voice and the way he says it, it matters. Like, like when he was being interrogated by, by Logan in season five. And at the end of the interrogation, he says something to the effect of, is there anything else, Charles? Like, instead of Mr. President, he just says Charles. It's, it's a minor thing, but because of what you know about Aaron and the fact that he always says Mr. President, even, even to, you know, his friends like David Palmer, he still always says Mr. President. So it's little things like that. When he says Charles, it's very emphatic because of the way he says it. So Aaron, Aaron is the kind of character that <clears throat> he doesn't have throwaway lines. When he speaks, when you have him speak, everything he says because of the way he says it matters within the context of the story. And of course, the reason that we need Aaron in this season, uh, initially anyway, is that Henry Taylor has been shot. And obviously, the president wants someone to make sure that Olivia is okay. Um, I particularly love about this storyline the length that Renee has to go to, because we've seen throughout the first seven, eight episodes that she is a little bit Jack Bauer light <clears throat> and you know, they, they, there is a clear picture from 24 here that Renee is kind of, is, is the FBI's Jack Bauer. We've had, we've had Chase at CTU as sort of next cab off the rank, but then at the FBI it's okay. So this is Renee, but it's not quite Jack Bauer because she's not willing to go to the lengths, but maybe she is. And we see that here. And under the the pressure of having to rescue the president's husband, um, I particularly like the line that Jack delivers. I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's something along the lines of uh, how, um, you know, do this uh, and, or talk to the president and say that you couldn't do what was necessary to save her husband um, and apologize. And so she has to go to Agent Vossler's house and handcuff his wife and potentially, and I suppose her mere presence threatening her, their their eighteen month old child, while Jack essentially makes Vossler listen and gets him to talk. And it's it's a nice way of getting the team up. It's a very effective way of looking at Renee Walker. She's such a big character in this season. She's such a big character in the next season as well. And this is kind of a defining moment for her. This is the point at which she goes from the top tier FBI agent who is willing to go a little bit outside of the line in order to do her job, but isn't really happy about it. And kind of, you know, she, she, she walks it back. We saw that at the start of the season that Jack tell, tell Jack that he could do anything to check her. Oh, but it was actually just for show. But then she interrogates, um, I can't remember who the, the guy was earlier in the season in the hospital bed. She does that. So she's willing She's willing to cross this line. But there is this point at which 
Jack would cross without hesitation and she wouldn't. And this is forcing her over that line. I, I just love the, the morality aspect of it. Um, the guy's name is Tanner um, at the hospital. Um, <clears throat> Renee is a lot more like Jack than she wants to admit from episode one. Um, and it's kind of, it's kind of weird, but at the same time, it's kind of amazing to see <sighs> Renee from episode one of season seven and to see how much between that and when she shows up in season eight, how much, how drastically she's changed. And that was, and that's mainly because of Jack. Um, the the events <clears throat> of season seven and working with Jack and the things that she had to do to help Jack kind of made her who she was by the time we see her in season eight. And it's, it's one of the more drastic uh, changes in character um, from one season to the next. Uh, that I've seen in 24. Um, I mean, with the exception of Nina going from, you know, right-hand man, you know, do everything right to a psychopathic serial killer. But that's for another day. Um, <clears throat> but it's, 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 it's weird seeing her transformation because you would think that, especially Larry, you would see throughout the season that Larry's starting to wonder, did I ever really know Renee Walker? Because he seems more and more appalled by every decision that she makes just about. And she's starting to get more and more, like you start to see it really have an effect on her when she's at Agent Vossel's wife's house. Um, she physically didn't do anything. Like she didn't torture them like Jack or, or anything like that. It was just the, the threat of it that kind of almost broke her. But you hear Jack throughout several points during the season, he tells Renee, maybe you should get out. You know, if you're not comfortable with this, maybe you should get out. Maybe you should go back. So Jack, <laughs> Jack tries to lead her away from it several, at several points during the season. And Renee's just like, no, I gotta see this through. I gotta, I gotta do this. And that's very Jack-esque. Because, I mean, how many times in 24 history did people try to warn Jack to get out or try to get him to stop or try to get him to back off? Um, so it's, it's very, she's a very Jack-esque character. Um, I think of all of all the the characters in 24, um, especially on the female side, I think her and and Kate Morgan are probably the two that are the most like Jack. And that even more than they'll admit because of the lengths that they're willing to go to um, to get things done. Yeah, I mean, Renee even says in that in that passage when she's at boss's house and they've got the information and Jack says, maybe you should quit. And she says, maybe I will. And then pauses and then says tomorrow. 
she's she is um she's it she's in for the long haul even if she doesn't really want to be and yeah I, I feel like this is kind of one of the turning points we end up having the the argument between we'll come on to in a minute in the hospital but sort of crossing that line of potentially having to hurt a child who obviously has done nothing um hurt an innocent woman who's obviously done nothing towards what Vossa is doing and and the the plot on his side of things it is a big line and she crosses it and it it's i mean in a way it's kind of quite sad because she'd have never done this without jack she'd have been the good fbi agent who gets all the commendations does everything by the book still gets all the arrests still takes down all the criminals have a fantastic career and then what we end up with is kind of the opposite of that um yeah maybe hella was right <laughs> well i mean well she did end up dead so yeah i guess i guess he was right about that season eight spoilers <laughs> so I, I was about to take the other side of it and then i remembered uh, well she did end up dead so um but yeah she's the she's the cop that gets all the commendations and all the the accolades and all that you know that's nice that's good but <clears throat> Considering what was planned for season seven, as far as the villains and what they're what they have planned to do, would they have been able to stop it without Jack? Oh no, that's 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 the thing. the The corruption would have been widespread. the The attacks would have happened, and there would have been nothing they could do to stop it because their government would have been corrupt. So even even though Renee gets all these accommodations and makes all these arrests and stuff like that, she likely would not have been able to stop this without doing what she needed to do to get to get the job done. It's kind of the point of this season, isn't it? You know, we, we open with Jack at the hearing and the whole season is is a little back and forth or a lot of the season is a big back and forth between him and Senator Mayor and him and the president and him and Ethan Kanin and, and and everything of well torture is illegal torture is immoral torture is wrong you can't do this you have to do by the book you can't go these backdoor ways and jack saying actually without this i would never have stopped this attack or this attack or that person's assassination or whatever and that's kind of the lesson we take from this which is it, it i think it's great well, um, it, the, the, the other thing about the the Vossa stuff here is that in terms of the Henry Taylor rescue, there's a lot of tension to it. And and there was a lot of tension to the assault. And I've said there was a lot of tension in bits last week. And I will say this at other points in this podcast, because there are so many parts to this where you feel on edge, where you feel like the thing, the bad thing that could happen could happen as opposed to, as I spoke about at length before the nuclear bombs in season six and much of season six doesn't ever feel like, the bad thing will ever happen. It just feels like empty tension here. There is always that threat of they've got to get to Henry Taylor quickly. I love that. Yeah. Um, when you see, when you see the Senate hearings in, in beginning of season seven, um, you're absolutely right. It kind of sets the tone for the rest of the season because Throughout the rest of the season, there's this constant question of <clears throat> is torture worth it or 
is it not? Is everything that Jack did before season seven, was it all in the name of doing the right thing? And throughout season seven, you can hear you could hear the constant back and forth, even though, you know, in, in episode one, it was between him and Senator Mayor. Once he's taken in by the FBI, the rest of the season up until his untimely death, him and Larry Moss, Larry Moss kind of replaces Senator Mayor in being the, even though he's a, a protagonist in the overall story of season seven, Larry Moss is kind of the antagonist to Jack because he's always, whatever Jack wants to do, Larry is his opposition, the, the only person that's really standing in his way of doing it. And it's kind of, it's kind of no more apparent than when Renee called Larry and finally told him everything that was going on. And Larry agreed to uh, get Vossler's information and they all met at this little park, Renee and Jack and, and Larry and, you know, Renee and Renee is trying to talk some sense into Larry and Jack's just like, do you have it or not? You know, <laughs> and, and he's like, are you going to give me your car keys or not? <laughs> so, and, you know, normally you just, you know, underhand toss the car keys to him. No, Larry just takes him overhand and throws him like a baseball. <laughs> and Jack just still just snatches him out of the air. Um, and then as he's walking off, Larry says, you know, the rules are what makes us better. And Jack just very matter-of-factly says, not today. And that just kind of epitomizes the relationship between Jack and really the entire government um, throughout season seven. Um, if, you, if you really boil down to it and look at it, Jack and Tony, their attitudes toward the government throughout season seven is not that much different. The only difference is Jack is not willing to kill innocent people. That's the only difference um, between their attitudes toward the government. Because Jack, even though he's helping uh, President Taylor and Renee and to an extent Larry, he's not actively on the government side. You know, this is not this is not the Jack of CTU. You know, he still has a very um, antagonistic relationship uh, with the government. Uh, because they're essentially trying to put him in prison for, you know, things that he thought were necessary um, to get his job done. So I thought that I thought that was kind of an interesting parallel in that, you know, just one little one little switch could have put Jack on the same side of Tony um, going toward the government. And I thought that that was a an interesting parallel that they they start they they drop the egg you know real early in the season during the interrogation of Tony when Tony asked Jack point blank why are you here helping the federal government when they're trying to put you in prison 
you know, they, they dropped that hint very early on in season seven and they played it out throughout basically the entire season <laughs> up until really, um, up until Larry Moss uh, got killed. Up until that point, they kind of played that, that angle out throughout the rest of the, throughout most of the season. Now, one of the other things that um, is, is a line that Jack crosses, I guess, is the sting operation with Marika Donaso and the way that they um, use her to try and get to Ike Debaku. And it works, although she does end up dying in the process. And, and it really upsets Renee. The thing for me, before we come on to that, the one thing I want to talk about very briefly is um, it kind of illustrates... Dubaku's floor as a villain because we've you know he was good in redemption or he was threatening in redemption it kind of felt like okay he can be um a rival for Jack or or a villain for Jack and you know he doesn't die at the end and then he's very authoritative in this he's very sure of what he wants he has that that persona and that charisma that you can say right this guy yes he's a villain this is good and then they record the CIP device and we learn about his relationship with Marika. And for a minute, you kind of think, well, surely he's faking this. Surely this is, you know, he's, he's lying to her and there's a reason that he's got involved with her. He wants to, I don't know, she works somewhere. She has some information. She knows someone that's going to be relevant to his, his, his mission against the United States, but no, it's not. It, it's, he's genuinely in love with her. And, it kind of feel, you know, it, it, it ends up being his downfall that they get to him through her, but then also Ryan Burnett tells him that she's been talking to the FBI, and yet he's still like, no, no, it's fine, I forgive you. And he, that, you know, 15 minutes later, he's in a car crash, and an hour later, he's dead. Uh, <laughs> it kind of feels like a really weird kind of ending hour or so for Dubaku because this how has he let this happen how has he let himself into this position where even, he can be even, so easily exposed even even mass murdering serial killers need love too Bradley okay I'm not saying that they don't but like you know come on he doesn't <clears throat> like America what's he what is he doing well I mean you know he he, he needs something to pass the time he needs to feel like a regular citizen amongst the amongst the people. Um, but at the same time, you knew she was gonna die. As soon as the, as soon as Jack proposed this operation, you knew she was going to die. Every time, every time Jack with his civilian pretends to be like it was before after he tells them big revealing information that will change their life about the person they think they know. Every time he goes with this, it goes wrong. Just look at like Elizabeth Nash and Andre Dre, uh, sorry, Alexis Drazen in season one. Like this was the first time we ever saw him do it. And look how spectacularly terribly that went. How does he think it's going to improve the longer he does it? Any time that <clears throat> that he tries to, he tried. I mean, he tried it with uh, Kate Warner as well, and it. It's just whenever whenever Jack tries to use civilians to like a sting operation, whenever he tries to use civilians in a sting operation, it always goes wrong. Either 
the person either the person finds out and civilian ends up dying or it goes spectacularly wrong and they lose both of them um <clears throat> so you you knew especially the way he was explaining it to renee <clears throat> and uh what's the lady's name again marika marika, marika. You know, it's completely fine. We'll be right behind you and, you know, you're, you're completely safe. All of which are kiss of deaths. Yep. You know, every, every, everything he said was like, you know, you're going to die. And this was, this was kind of what really broke Renee. Like she was holding it together pretty well up until this point. Um, even though this was after she had threatened Agent Voss's wife and, you know, all that um, that went on, she's held it together pretty well. You know, she faked her death, so she's pretty much held it together up until this point. But the, the death of Marika is kind of what broke her. Because you see her, she's, they had this big accident, this big crash, um, Jack gets the Baku out. He's trying to revive him. He knows that the he knows that the car is about to blow, but Renee refuses to leave Marika. So Jack Jack tries to get Renee off her. So Renee draws her weapon. <laughs> so, which I thought was kind of kind of amazing because you don't see that very often. Um. From somebody, usually they just go along with whatever Jack wants them to do. So you don't see you don't see people on the right side of the law take a stand against Jack the way that she did um, in that moment. There's, and there's Jack, that intensity. There's the intensity from Renee, and there's also that thing that we saw in season three with Chase and Kim of, and it's a discussion that he'll have with with um, Renee in the argument in a second. But it's the the line of getting involved personally, and to an extent, she does because she she knows that they've put this woman at risk. This is a woman who is completely innocent, nothing to do with Dubaku beyond her romantic interest. It's not like she, she's helped any of these terrorist plots or anything like that. She's just an innocent bystander in all of this, and they've sent her off to this. Her her you know she's about to be blown up in a car. And she dies. And so from Renee's point of view, yeah, it, it, she's too involved. But few other people, you mentioned there, that, you know, we don't see this from other law enforcement with Jack. Few other people <clears throat> are involved. We've seen it with Tony. We saw it with, with Chase and whatever. But most people don't do it. Jack Jack by himself stays out of it. And, and Renee here cannot. And, I mean, it makes for a, a, a great sequence. It it it, re it really was a, a a great scene. Um, I hated the fact that you know I could see it coming from a mile away without even even if I was just watching the season for the first time. You know, you could tell what was coming before she even got in the car. But um, there's still a, there's still a great drama to the ch car chase and then the <laughs> car flipping over, and then also when we do get to the hospital, the the argument that Jack and Renee have because you kind of. It, it, it's the boiling point, isn't it? It's Renee has become a little bit more like Jack, and this is the limit. Jack just doesn't care, or he, it seems like he doesn't care. And Renee has that that speech saying, "Like I just want to know you feel something." 
and it's it it is very much everything boils over everything becomes just too much for that time and then everything goes back to normal renee's fine but you kind of for the for the progression of everything you need that from renee to to be able to progress yeah and it's you know seeing her in the hospital and you can see the look on her face like she looks despondent like she looks like she's in a trance like she's when she's looking into that hospital room she looks like she's in a trance like the entire day's events are just playing over and over in her head like over and over again and then um marika's sister whose name escapes me at the moment (laughs) um she rolls up in a wheelchair and kind of breaks renee out of her trance and after that conversation and you, you could tell that Renee was about to break down. So when Jack, when Jack confronted her, she was already at the breaking point. So it, that was a very intense scene. Um, slapping Jack in the face twice. <laughs> um, it was kind of, it also led to one of my favorite lines of the season where, you know, Jack's leaving and then he and then he stops and talks about the stunt by the car and says, if you ever if you ever pull your weapon out on me like that again, you better be prepared to use it. And Renee just simply says, I did. And you could tell that Jack was kind of cut off, caught off by it. <laughs> and he was like, yeah. And then he just and then he just walked off. Um, so it was it was such a great scene. And it, it further show the evolution of Renee Walker's character because she was <clears throat> she had everything under control in episode one. She had she was calm, collected, she had everything under control, brought Jack in to take down Tony. <clears throat> and the further we got along in season seven, especially by this time when she's at the hospital, we saw her further and further lose control. And mind you, <clears throat> we're only what, what episode was this? Like nine, ten. Ten, 10, We're only 10 hours into the day. So in the, in the, in the last 10 hours, she has just started spiraling out of control to the point to where this was really her breaking point. Like from this point on, she had less of a concern about the consequences and more of a concern about getting this day over with. And I thought that this was a, a crucial moment in the, the overall evolution of where we eventually see her in season eight. Absolutely. Now, the culmination of all this, uh, the, the sting operation, is that Jack manages to recover the information Jibaku has about who's involved with the government, and it's a little bit Jonathan Wallace with the chip in his in his chest, in his rib cage, wherever it was. Um, but, it, I mean, it works, and we see that everyone gets arrested. I don't want to spend too much time on this because it's it's not a great storyline, but um, Sean and Erica at the FBI. Um, yeah, not not a fan of this. I I, I kind of like Sean as a like he's he's fine. He he almost replaces he he, he they, you kind of peg him as a Milo replacement from season six in the sense of he's not not the management side or or you know the the association we have, but just the sense of the, the adversarial nature that he had with Morris and the way that Sean interacts with Janice and the way that he interacts occasionally with Larry. It's very much that kind of 
not sarcasm because that's more Morris, but you know what I'm getting at. Don't you? That, that he's the kind of he's the office guy, and if something's not right, he'll call it out. And he's not wholly serious, but sometimes he's very serious. Like one of his early lines of how um, you can pay a, a tech guy to do the what I'm doing with Jack in searching through some archives, like th- things like that. Um, and I quite liked him like and that. Renee said, and then Renee said, I wouldn't advertise that. Yeah. yeah. See, that, that's the kind of thing you're thinking. And, and it's the same with Milo. And then you get to this stage and it's ugh, not, not massively keen. I like the, the twist that he's involved. Um, that's a nice ending to the previous episode, actually, when, when, they, when he puts out the APB and has Jack and Renee stopped. But then you throw in Erica, who we just don't know enough about to care and definitely don't care about. And then there's the whole romantic angle between them. And then there's the whole techno babble nonsense that you kind of can't get away from where they want to crash the servers and do all these things to stop the chip. It's a bit of a strain, I have to say. Well, he he also just has one of those faces. Like he, <laughs> he, he looks like he's up to something. Yeah. Even if you don't, even if you don't know anything about the character, just looking at him on screen, the way he gives you that little side eye and the way he's always looking around before he types on the computer. And he, he just always looks like he's up to something. So when, when they first started talking about government corruption in the early part of season seven, He's one of the first names that will come to mind because he just he just looks like he's up to something. And <clears throat> I didn't particularly like Erica because she didn't have enough lines to get me to care. Um, <clears throat> I thought it was kind of didn't make sense because <clears throat> Sean went through all this trouble to get the plane with his wife moved up to the front of the queue so it could land. And then the whole time he's banging this other chick on the side. You mean to tell me you don't believe that she's in love with Erica? <laughs> I don't know what to believe because, I mean, you go through all this trouble to get your wife to land, but you're banging this other chick on the side. So it's, it's like it, it's a disconnect for me because the longer she's up there, <laughs> the less likely it is you're, you're to get caught. Yeah, but she might die. It's his wife. That's even better. I mean, Wow. <laughs> I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> that it's even I mean, better I mean, if he it dies de- on the plane. Wow. I mean, it, it, depends on, it depends on at the end of the day. It depends on who he likes more. Well, he like clearly, it's, clearly it's his wife because he shoots Erica. Well, yeah, but at the same time, <laughs> if his wife had been in in on it, in on the conspiracy, would he have shot her? This is well, yeah, we don't know. So we we don't know that. Um, I think I think uh, Sean was willing to shoot anybody he could to preserve his cover, including himself. Even himself, yes. <laughs> um, so I, I I think I like I like the Sean reveal. Um, because like I said. Just looking at his face in episode one, you can see it coming. Um, the Erica reveal, not so much because, like I said, there's nothing 
that gets me to care whether she's a corrupted government official or not. Um, <clears throat> now, if they would have had Janice, might have been a little bit different <clears throat> because Janice had gotten us to care about her character up to this point. And, you know, they could have told her story equally as well because they could have had, because her and Chloe essentially do the same thing. So that could have made a little bit more sense. Um, Erica just seems like somebody they just threw in there at the last minute. And I didn't really particularly like that part. Um, I thought the Sean storyline kind of ended abruptly too. I mean, he, he was just thrown in a hole and that was pretty much it. Look for me. That's where he needs to be. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot of, previous seasons when you see moles and stuff like that, there's usually this grand finale scene where the mole either gets arrested and taken away after, you know, a shootout or whatever, or he dies. Um, and I just thought that this was kind of an abrupt, okay, he's caught now, just throw him away. And that's pretty much it. So but there's, a, there's a big difference here because that? none of the previous moles were arrested right before an assault on the White House. Uh, I, guess, I, guess, I guess you have a point there, but <laughs> they could they could have they could have at least tried to you know get some information out of him before the attack on the White House. Um, but whatever. Like I said, the sto- the storyline was good. I just felt that there's two things that that I would have changed. Number one, I would have gotten rid of Erica because she was pointless to the whole story. Yep, and. Two, I probably would have had a kind of a different ending to it um, as far as Sean getting caught, just thrown away and never heard from again. Yeah, I, I can see that. Equally, I'm quite happy to have never heard from him again, to be honest. Um, but yeah, the, the White House assault is what follows this. And oh my, <clears throat> what, what a... I, I went into this and, and it got to... I think I'd, I'd finished 6 p.m., and then a couple of nights later, I, I'd gone back into it and I was like, oh, here we go. I got the two best episodes of the season coming up. And then like the second one, the, the one with the actual assault in it, I, I got to the end of it and went, how is that so much better than I even remember it being? It, it, I mean, it's just phenomenal. It's again, the tension that this is one of such a key thing for me. It's such a key thing for 24 that things have to feel on edge. You know, we look at, the way the series started and, and the whole concept of it, that there is this drama, this feeling that anything could happen and you don't know where it's going. And it, it, it's it got this immense, st- almost stress to it. And this is the case here, that there's sort of a, a relentlessness when they get into the White House and then suddenly everything is about the White House. It's all about they're going around they're going around the halls trying to find the president and then the FBI turn up and the secret service turn up and they're trying and they're, and they're forced out and Jack and the president have to get to the lockdown. And then, Oh, it's about the hostages are there. Can we find Olivia Taylor? And they've got an Aaron and Olivia have got to avoid capture. And then they get Olivia and they've got to decide whether to let the president out of the lockdown. And the whole thing, I mean, it just flies by and Again, you know, I don't ever feel like 
I never feel like they're good. You know, they're not going to kill obviously Jack. They're not going to kill the president. They're not going to kill Bill at this point. You don't ever feel. You don't feel like any of the main characters that you love are in danger, but there is a a feeling of almost seriousness. You know, obviously seriousness to it. This is the White House being assaulted, but it's just it is breathless at times. This that they are taking the White House and they're killing all these people so quickly. And then, okay, now what? How do we get out of this situation with 40 hostages out there? Jack and the president are stuck in a in a secure room and they're trying to break in. I, I, I just love the whole thing. Um, <clears throat> before I give my thoughts on the, uh, the White House uh, scene, you know, before, before he dies... Are we going? Are we going to address why General Juma is the detective from season three? Because because if you use Tony Todd for one scene in season three, speaking to uh, Julia Milliken, and that's it, your his entire involvement in your show, you are using Tony Todd wrong, and nothing highlights the absolute waste of Tony Todd in season three than his charisma and just immaculate portrayal of Juma in these episodes. Yeah, but it's kind of a disconnect because if that's the case, then you should have used a different detective in season three. Well, yeah, you should have done. But then Gibran Elzarian, who will come on to in the final episode of this, of this season <clears> was <throat> also the, uh, the, the, um, the store guy in season four that helped Jack and Paul escape from McLennan Forrester. And there's been a few other characters and actors that have been reused over the seasons as well. You just got to learn to live with it, and quite frankly, Tony Todd, from a from a performance perspective, is one of the best in the show. So I'm not complaining. It's also there's there's also there is actually they do address this. There is a great meta line at the end of the 7 p.m. hour when Renee spots him and says to Larry, "I think Juma's here, leading it himself. Are you sure it was Juma? Unless he has an identical twin." I, I, that, yeah, that's that's one of those things that kind of goes. If yeah. you know, you know. Yeah. If you if you knew he was in season three, if you recognise him from five years ago, then yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I, I guess I can. Uh, I guess I can live with that. I just feel like it was a disconnect for me. Um, <clears throat> I mean, at least play it into the story. I mean, just play it like he was a. Like he oh, played no. a detective in season three, but really he was working undercover. I mean, at least try to play it into the story or something. Are you making it more ludicrous? Well, I mean, he could have been a detective in season three, but really he was General Juma and he was just working undercover trying to get that could have been when he started to infiltrate the government. See? I can write better than twenty four. I mean it's it's ridiculous. No, I'm not having yes. it. Yes, like it would have been a great long-term story it would have been better than the nerve gas conspiracy i think i'd have actually preferred i think i'd have actually preferred the um the maryland jack storyline from season six to the idea that general juma was posing as a police officer 10 years ago i thought i I just think it would have been a better uh been a better uh better way to introduce juma and have people remember him by calling back him by calling back in season three. But anyway, on to the White House scene. I thought it was great. But at the same time, 
even though even though you knew Jack Bill at this point, um, President Taylor, um, you know, Spots won't let you kill a sitting president. Um, and uh, who else? Aaron. You knew Aaron was going to die. But at the same time, you weren't so sure watching it for the first time now. Not rewatching it, but watching it for the first time, you weren't so sure about Olivia because she was a fairly new character. She just got, she just literally got introduced either in this episode or the episode before. Um, <clears throat> and she was President Taylor's daughter. So it would give, <clears throat> it would give them a way to kind of kill somebody close to President Taylor without actually killing a sitting president. So even though you knew the main characters were kind of safe, if you're watching it for the first time, you weren't so sure about Olivia. Um, so I thought that that is what kind of added to the drama to it because you knew it would, as soon as Hodges let them know that Olivia Taylor was in the building, you kind of feared that maybe you know, they, they weren't able to kill Henry, but maybe they'll kill Olivia. And I thought that that's what added to the drama to it. <clears throat> and I thought it was, it was great that, you know, they, they were tracking the president. So Bill took the tracker and went off in the other direction. So, you know, they think they're, they're coming on to him and then really it's just Bill. So I thought that the whole, the whole build up to, them actually capturing the president, I thought was was amazing. <laughs> I think the other thing for me about why this worked <clears throat> versus things that haven't worked is that, and again, I'm going to bash season six briefly, but the sort of the victims in that threat in season six are so conceptual. Whereas you look at this and you go, right, well, that White House staffer, we don't know them. We've never seen them before. We don't know their name. We don't care about them at all. But he's just been shot. And so she. And she's been shot. And then the, the press secretary gets shot as well. We've met her once before. She's had lines. And, and you know, if, if Jack doesn't get the president to the lockdown room, they will die as well. And you think, okay, suddenly there's, there, there's, there's high stakes to this. Suddenly there's actually something I can, something tangible I can go, right. If this doesn't happen, these people that we are seeing are going to die by this method. And, you know, you look at like the nerve gas, it's, it's, it's CTU. That is fantastic because you think, well, all these characters that we know and love could die. They're not going to, most of them. But it, it, it feels like this is impacting real people and it's happening in that very short space of time. And that's that, for me, is is one of the things that makes this work. Um, and the other thing is, the, oh my God, the scene at the end of this episode of Juma threatening Olivia and the force with which he says that and then the conversation between Jack and the president immediately after saying about how could you stand by and watch your daughter butchered? No, but I'm not the president of the United States. Well, I am. So open the door. I think before we haven't got to the end of rewatching the season yet, but I think if I get to the end of the season, there's a better scene. I will be surprised because that is just phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. It's it, again, it's very much encapsulating. This is the threat. This person is going to get killed in one minute if this thing doesn't happen there is that danger there is that peril around it and i mean tony todd um kiefer and um cherry jones just wow wow 
the only the only the only thing I really kind of caught me off is the the lockdown scene with Jack and and President Taylor inside the lockdown. <laughs> the only thing I would have changed is that you know we just we just did this scene a few hours earlier with the Mutabos in the lockdown room. So I felt like it was too close together, similar scenes. I know they got out in different ways. They got them out in different ways, but I just felt like this this whole lockdown room and it could only be open from the inside and, you know, we got to get them out. I just felt like the scene, the two scenes were too close together. Maybe if they would have done the Mutubbos earlier in the season and, you know, the, the – President seen kind of later in the season, ace it out a little bit more. It might have come off a little bit better, but I just thought that those two scenes were a little too close together. Fair enough. Fair enough. I can see that. So that is the end of this week's episode and, and the discussions for this. Next week we'll pick up, well, exactly where we left off because there is still a little bit of White House assault to talk about. And, um, well, spoiler alert if you know it, um, it's slightly more sad. But um, we'll come on to that next week. Uh, <laughs> for the moment, um, thank you all for listening. If you do want to get in touch with us, you can mention us on Twitter at the 24 podcast. Uh, you can go to 24faithful.com or you can leave a voicemail at 405-771-0567. But that's it for this week. Next week, it's episodes 13 through 18, uh, 8 p.m. till 2 a.m. We hope you'll join us again then and see you next week.